Welcome back to Kingdom Cast. This is your host, Super Champ Chuck. We back at it with another episode. Don't forget to like, subscribe, com- comment, and share all your social media platforms. I'm with my guy, Boogie, on the bottom of the screen. And we welcome back CJ from the Aftermath Podcast. He may or may not be a free agent, but you'll find it out later. Anyway, um, <laughs> let's go and get to the recap of this game. Uh, unfortunately, our banner night got spoiled by the Detroit Lions. They won, they won by the final score of 21 to 20. I mean, defense play play good, man. I mean, when you hold the offense to 14 points, that's good enough to win a ball game. I'll take that any day, no matter how the defense gets it done, you know. Um, I know we had a rough time sagging golf, but at the same time, we made key stops when we needed to to get them off the field uh, to give our offense a chance to at least close the deal on the game. But it just, it just went our night, man. You know, some of the receivers had the yips. Um, you know, Patrick, he wasn't exactly crisp, but – it is what it is, man. We'll go into it and everything. So, let's go on and start off with CJ, man. CJ, I mean, what were your, th- what were your thoughts on last night, bro? Overall, it was just offense was definitely sloppy, like you said. A lot of mistakes. Um, overall, from an O-line perspective, I think they gave Pat, Pat plenty of time to make plays. And I think that was one of our question marks coming into the season, right, to see how Donovan and Juwan would transition. And for your first game out, for your first live reps, that's like a full game. They played – Overall, a good game to me. And I think I know the All-22 came out late tonight. So, from the clips I've seen, if I had to give them, like, an overall rating without deep diving, I'd probably give them, like, a B. I think they gave them an overall good time, more than enough time to make plays. Um, obviously, the receivers have probably got the worst grading out of anybody on the team. They had a lot of drops, a lot of penalties. But um, overall, Pat played well enough to, to win us the game. It's just a couple of mistakes here and there. And defensive-wise, I think Spag probably called one of his better games he ever called in his tenure as being the defensive coordinator here. So, to not have Chris Jones and have a whole offseason with dealing with the distraction of him not being here, even though I said he said he didn't want to be a distraction, just you not being here, we know what it is. The defense holding that offense to up until the seven minutes left in the game, they had one touchdown drive. So I'm not really mad at Spags or anything they did on defensive-wise. So they got pressure on Jared Goff. We got a turnover shot to Trent McDuffie with a perfect um, picture-perfect hit, head on the ball, turnover. Ain't really nothing much you could really uh, complain about on defensive wise, man. They they played a hell of a game. They gave us more enough chance to win the game. So this game definitely falls on the offense. They got to be better, and I'm sure nobody holding them accountable more than Andy and Pat. So I know they'll get right and correct their mistakes. But this is your moment, dog. I know you want to get it off, bro. Don't get it off. <laughs> yeah, we'll get it. Hey, that, that was two minutes and seventeen seconds. So they hit the over. Barely, barely, <laughs> barely bro. Barely. He got he got a lag. <laughs> Sporting boys, it's good, man. It, it's one game, but. I, I thought I agree with what y'all said. I thought our defense without Chris Jones against a good offense that they they did a hell of a job. I thought Trent McDuffie, he looked good. He made a good uh, forced a good fumble, made a good open field tackle. Like what I seen from him. I think Carloftis looked real good on defense. He was all over the place. I, I like what I seen from him. Looked like he taking another step. Uh, uh, Felix. He showed a little something. Defense, I thought, all around. It, it was a lot of bright spots. Um, I agree with Spags. He, he definitely did a good job. We kept uh, blitzing, got some pressure. Dana, I seen somebody in the comments say he did some. Uh, offense, I just felt like Tony. <laughs> Tony, I felt like, man, just not being there all summer for real. And for him to play as much as he did, I, I didn't think that was uh, – I was a little surprised by that. I thought uh, Sky Moore, I thought uh, – I, I feel like him and Mahomes just wasn't on the same page. A lot of those passes, like one of them was way too high. 
One of them was uh, deep double coverage, like Hail Mary type plays. I just felt like they, they wasn't on the same page. And I thought it was crazy that Justin Watson was the best receiver yesterday. All the shit we've been talking all offseason, is he going to be the first receiver benched and all that? And he had the two big catches and he had that big pass interference. So it was like, damn. I thought that was ironic. But no running game. I, I, I thought we definitely could have did better on offense, man. Yeah, uh, just a few things real quick, man. Um, you know, shout out to the one lonely Bengal fan in this chat. Um, I've been seeing them all over the timeline, you know what I'm saying, doing a little so-called victory lap, whatever. And it's like, it's just the first week, dog. Like, you know, everybody getting their jokes off. Like, people wait for people been waiting a long time for us to lose again. Nice. And, hey, that's just what it is, man. So, I embraced it all last night, and I'm embracing it more today. Um, just a few things though from the offense. I agree with you, Bug. Like, like I mentioned earlier with Mahomes, like some of those passes were a little bit high, you know what I'm saying? A little bit questionable and whatnot. Uh, but I also seen like a few instances where um Tony had his bad game, right? But on one of the one of the plays where him and Richie was running crosses, they literally almost ran into each other. On the mesh route, yeah. Yep, on the mesh round there. But last minute, you know, Richie flashed in front of Tony and it kind of, they may have affected Tony's vision as far as like him catching the ball and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then it caused him to drop it. Um, yep. I think it might be the same case with Sky Moore at fourth and twenty-five. In which, by the way, I was not a fan of that call because there's no way in hell you go for it and you got three timeouts left and the two-minute warning, dog. Like that was the, way, the way your defense been playing, like no, punt the ball, trust your defense to get another stop. Patrick Mahomes will get the ball back with like let's say forty-five seconds. That was at your worst, maybe. That was your annual uh, Andy Reid two-minute tweet right there, man. You know, he give us one of those every year. Every year, that was the one. Like, he got that out the way early. Yeah, get it out of the way. Yeah. Um, Let's see, somebody had a question. Kimo, what did you think about Andy King kicking the field goal instead of going for him when it was 17-14? I mean, yeah, there's a little bit of controversy with that, you know what I mean? Um, But – the thing that kills me is this, like Andy, even either kicking a field goal or punting the ball when it's like fourth and three or fourth and four, but yet you go for it on fourth and twenty-five. Yes. <laughs> situation. That's, like that's, that's where you should have punted it. Like, that's I, I'm not even tripping on him not kicking, like not going for it on that fourth down when it was 17-14 because, like you just said, Chuck, the defense had been playing amazing. They had been playing lights out up until that last drive. They only had went down the drive and scored on us one time. So Spags and the defense had given out. If they hadn't been getting any stops, I would have been okay with them going for it. So like, it's a back-and-forth game. We're not stopping them. We might as well score. Our defense was doing the job enough for us to win the game. The offense, we were five for eight on third down in the first half. I think in the second half, we converted third down, I think, once or twice. On that third down? Yeah, on third down. In the second half, we were terrible, bro. Zero first half, for, we were cool. Oh, oh for seven in the second half. Oh for seven. In the first half, we were five for eight. So how you go from converting almost every third down to none? So – that was the ball game right there. If we get any of those first downs and we score one touchdown, the game's over. Instead of 20 21, it's like Chiefs 27, maybe the highest 20. That's how it really should have went. So, but it was just really just one possession that came down to one play. So that's all you needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, simple as that. Similar situational football was just, it was just trash. Um, and another thing, speaking of situational football, like Andy Reid's been one of the best coaches we've seen in our lifetime. But my God, he might be one of the worst short. Short yardage play calls I've seen in my life, dog. Like, we are still doing the jet sweep on 31. And this was a, 
this was a horrible one. That like you did a fake quarterback sneak with Blake Bell and you go handing off Rasheed Rice. Like that was just it was disgusting. And we it was real disgusting to watch, bro. Man, we complain. What's up, D Mac? What's up, y'all? Man, we complained about that shit all preseason. Like, please don't do that damn play on third and short. And then he remixed it and did it again. Oh, man. First game. But, like, like, yeah, that was nasty work, man. I know he loves that play, and I don't mind the usage. It's the timing is terrible. You don't do that on second and short or third and short. That's a first and ten type of play. You don't do that when you need one yard because it don't fool nobody. But when it's ten yards, you don't know if they're either going to give it away or if they're going to go around the edge. But when it's, they know you need one yard, it's not going to fool anyone, and especially when you got Blake Bell in the center. So, yeah, I, I don't like that timing of it at all. So, d you came in a little late, man. So, yeah. uh, what, what, what are your thoughts overall about yesterday? Whew, a uh, lot of lot of thoughts. Um, I First of all, I, I hope – um, everybody took a deep breath and had a nice sleep and, and hope everybody is okay. You know, just, oh, yes, kiss, kiss the three rings that are behind me, Sporting Force, certainly while right. you're at it. Um, uh, I hope everybody just had a nice sleep and, and could take a deep breath. Um, uh, it, it was one of those things where it's like anything that could go wrong kind of did go wrong. You're, you're without your best, you know, offensive weapon in Travis Kelsey, without your best defensive weapon in Chris Jones, and everything kind of went badly after that. Uh, wide receivers dropping the passes, poor decision making as far as play calling is concerned, as you guys said. Throw Blake Bell under center out of out of the playbook for the love of everything good in the world. Um, Please. Yeah, Rust on Tony's end. I thought that the defensive coverage kind of had some issues, but, you know, still some encouraging things to take away, um, I think, in the trenches on both sides and uh, just from a few individual performances as well. So um, not how you wanted to start the season, but not a, a, a total loss in terms of what you saw out there. <laughs> Y'all on that early, too. I, I like that, that, that uh, narrative. Last year, they couldn't wait to get him out of the building. Now Man, that is wild. It's crazy. Already? You want to know what's crazy, dog? Like, a lot of members in the media, they do not keep the same energy when it came That's to that. Like, like, every time we lost, it's always blame EB, blame EB. But you see, we lost yesterday. And now we moved. People was quiet. <laughs> Which one is it? Right. Is it, is it Uchi Wallace or one mic, man? It's amazing what ended up happening throughout the the the, the 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 failure that was happening, man. It, I mean, and I tweeted out. I said Eric Bieniemy yesterday got more credit than he ever got in KC. That's crazy. One night. That's crazy. All it took was one night of him not being here, and all of a sudden everybody was like, "Oh yeah, it was Eric Bieniemy." Like, come on, dog. Like y'all, y'all, y'all have dogged this man for three years Stay on that and, side. and blamed every yeah. single aspect of of this failure of an offense whenever it would happen on him and never gave him credit when it went well. And now one, one night, you know, of him not being here, now it's all on him. <laughs> it's hilarious. How, it's hilarious how narratives happen. Stay it's like, damn, keep the same energy. Keep Funny. the same energy. Keep the same energy. Funny. Funny. Yep. But, but another thing, but we was talking about the offense, though, D-Mac. Um, another thing I want to talk about besides the, the little short yardage stuff, uh, the wide receiver court, like, Guys were really getting open, you know what I'm saying? Like, there really wasn't an issue as far as, like, getting open. Now, with Tony, there was times where he kind of routed his routes, and there was times where he wasn't in the spot where he was supposed to be, you know what I'm saying? But I feel like it's more so him not really practicing and him not really getting to the flow with the guys in that, st- in that sense. 
Um, but at the same time, you know, he did have opportunities that he couldn't make plays, and he, he just dropped them. And then, you know, with Sky Moore, in the first half, he wasn't involved in the offense. So, like, this is what tends to happen with receivers at times, you know. Like, when they don't get involved in the game for, like, one half, and then the second half, at some point when they do start getting involved, they kind of lose focus because they don't really expect to be looked at or get targeted. So I think that might have been the case with Sky there too. But at yeah. the same time, I'm not going to turn the page on Sky. You know, it's just one of those nights, man. Yeah, I mean, the, the Sky Moore usage early on was really a, a, a pain point for me. I didn't think that they got to what is good about Sky, and, and they didn't – use him effectively on crossers. They didn't give in any of these pivot routes. Like there were a lot of times out of bunch sets. And this was only after I was able to watch it a little bit more that sky wasn't put in the positions that you would want sky in. They were having Noah Gray or Blake Bell run these choice routes that they were normally give to Travis Kelsey. Well, without Travis Kelsey, don't give those routes to Noah Gray or Blake Bell, allow sky Moore to run those option routes in which he's actually good at reading DB's leverage and working off of them. If you don't, then you don't get him into the game. The only touch that Sky Moore had in the first half was a was a uh, end around. Mm-hmm. That's not that's not what you do to get Sky Moore into a game. And so the usage was frustrating. Kadarius Tony obviously was frustrated about the drops. That's a guy that hadn't played uh, during preseason or training camp, and that was painfully obvious. And it wasn't just obvious with the drops; it was obvious in the ways in which he wasn't running the correct routes, settling down into the windows properly for moments to deliver the ball. So. Um, Frustrating outing for the wide receivers. I was encouraged by what I saw from Rasheed Rice, which is nice. Um, I thought Noah Gray equipped himself well. Um, they just asked him to do too much at times, but outside of that, it was fine. But yeah, um, frustrating to watch the weapons work, to say the least. And I don't think the coaching staff did a lot to put them in, in good positions either. Yeah, I'm going to say no to that. Don't need them. And that, and that leads me to my but, next Boogie. No, wait, hold on, hold on. Boogie, go whoa, ahead. Whoa, whoa. I, I know you disagree. Go ahead, Boogie. I would definitely take him. Uh, definitely would take Mike Evans. I, right now with how the money's working, I, I understand. We got to get Chris Jones for me. But if we can get Chris Jones worked out and you can work something out, then, of course, I would take Mike Evans. Well, yeah, but, from a football standpoint, obviously, yeah. Yeah. It, but it's I, all, sorry, go ahead. Go, go ahead. No, Go ahead. I was going to say, it's all about the asset management. I don't know what exactly the Tampa Bay Buccaneers would be asking for. That's if it's a fourth-round pick, similar to the way that I said about DeAndre Hopkins, sure, that's fine. Mike Evans isn't getting an extension here. So if he comes in on his contract, you trade a fourth for him, cool. I- I'd be fine with bringing him into this offense. But again, I'm only bringing this up specifically because it's necessary, and it was necessary for the DeAndre Hopkins uh, you know, question mark, and it was necessary for the George Pickens versus Skyboard discussion. What are you doing to put Mike Evans into this offense in which you don't do contested catch, you know, situations often down the field? Mike Evans can do some of those end breakers. I think he can easily take over whatever Justin Watson gives to you. But again, we're talking about midseason trying to incorporate a very good wide receiver. Don't get me wrong about that. A veteran wide receiver into this offense that is about timing and being to, to split into that. And it's usually a separation based offense, which Mike Evans and strong suit isn't currently at this time. So, the fit may not be where uh, the Chiefs would look. Um, so that, that's something to be, to be understood. And, and Godwin would be cheaper, but he's also younger. So I don't think they'll be trading him away. Mike Evans probably be the cheaper option at this point in time, technically. So. Yeah. But either because one of those. It's, it's, it's always a hyper reaction off of guys making a mistake. But if they make big catches next week, the energy will flip. And if they get on a two, three, what, four game win streak, fellas, guys start making plays, we won't even be thinking about this first game. So. It's, all, mm-hmm. it's always hyper-reaction after the first mistake, so it's all good. 
Absolutely. You know, do you want to know who the Chiefs need to play more instead of just considering trading for Mike Evans? Yeah. And me and D-Mac, we, we kind of disagree on this a little bit. Here's the thing. You say that Justin Ross need to learn offense more, right? But what was he doing last year on rehabbing? Like, he wasn't just rehabbing last year. He was studying the play. He's in the public, yep. And he was also with his teammates watching the film, too. It's not like he wasn't mm-hmm. doing anything besides rehabbing. So, the dude is like the, to me, the most talented receiver out of the receiver group, excluding Travis Kelsey and all the tight ends. That's, yeah, you know, like, it's, yeah. My, my, but hold on. My thing is this. That fourth quarter, when he caught that six-yard pass, you can't just pull him out the game right away. They're like, dude, let this dude get in the rhythm at least, man. They did you use. Know, they did have him. They did have him in on some of those um, those red zone snaps as well. You saw that that was kind of the specific package yeah. they felt comfortable with. But yeah. it, there's also a standpoint of actual game snaps in which they have to have these guys grow into before they really trust them in the offense. And, and I agree. Yeah, Ross brings a different element of this offense, different than anybody else. And, and I would love to see him get more snaps, but. I have to be realistic about what this coaching staff does and how they approach things. And, and Justin Ross is great at the catch point, but that's never been anything that this offense loves to take advantage of. And so until that point, I don't know how much you're going to see Justin Ross out there. Rasheed Rice is a guy that actually can create separation on a consistent basis. So there's better chance of him actually moving up the depth chart and earning more snaps as of right now, in my opinion, based on what I know about the way this coaching staff uses offense. All I'm saying is that I, to me, it just feels like Justin Ross was a little more ahead of schedule than what Sky Moore was last year around this time. As far That's as like, me but the, the flow of the offense, did you see the way that that route you just example Chuck the hitch with Justin Ross late in the game? Mm-hmm. You see that gimme throws get you in rhythm. Why did Sky Moore get one of those? I know I didn't snap count. Most of Sky snaps, he was outside majority of the game. And I'm not trying to say Sky cannot play outside because obviously we love his versatility and what he brings to this offense. But if you have this feature receiver that you want to be the next guy and the guy to take the home whenever Travis Kelsey moves on, why not give that hitch ball to Sky Moore? He played off coverage on most of the night with him. You could have gave him some of those routes to get him into his rhythm to get a flow of the game. Instead, he was most of the decoy most of the night, most of his routes. He was running a deep over at the deep cross or helping other guys get open. Why can't Sky Moore get a little hitch route to get himself going, a little slant, something just oh. to get his hands warm? But if you don't target him for three quarters, what is he supposed to do? Or even a little screen just to get just the ball something. in his hands. Just get like, something, bro. Get it to get the ball. Not in. not an end around for the love of God. Just not at an end around. Uh, just I'm not that. Wow. Yeah, like something uh, yes. where you're throwing him the ball, get him in rhythm, get him flowing yes. to the game. You don't target him to this back end of the second quarter. What's he supposed to do? Oh yeah, coach, give me three targets a game. I'll be fine with that. I'll yeah, and that. and that was kind of it was weirdly backwards in the way in which they approached That's this. And, and again, I, I will also say this again, they lost Travis Kelsey two days before, so obviously they had to adjust this game plan. But it felt like they were doing Rasheed Rice and Justin Ross kind of early in the game and then taking them out instead of establishing the guys that you want to play the majority of the game early on and then having those package players mix in. It it felt like they were doing the opposite of that, and and from that standpoint, I didn't understand that approach. I like that comment from Quinn, too. Could you pull that up for me, Chuck? About about the plan of... Yeah, there you go. There we go. I think we... And and like you said, I think that's more because Kelsey... When Kelsey got hurt, but I definitely think we need to get some continuity first before we start trying to get all seven receivers going. Like pick the guys you want first and then start yeah. the young guys. I, there, there might be some to that, but I think it's also a double-edged sword because I think they also don't know what they have in this wide receiver room as of right now. They want to figure out if Scott Moore can be a heavy snap player. 
they they know generally that MVS and Justin Watson are fine in their roles. They don't know how much Richie James can give them in this offense. They don't know how much they want to trust Richie Rice or Justin Ross with snaps. And so, unfortunately, there's going to be a trial and error period at this current moment in time. I agree with you. By the time we get to November, this wide receiver room will be pared down to, all right, you guys are coming in for maybe 10 to 15 snaps a game. Everybody else, you know your set roles that we're going to have your majority in, and this is the set rotation. But – it's going to be tough until then. It might be a little bit, a little bit uh, uh, rocky, uh, you know, trying to figure that out. 24 hours or really the last practice. And that's ironic. The injury with Kelsey literally with the last practice. Okay. Yeah. So there's really no yeah. time to adjust. Hey, try We want you or Noah, we want you to play this role this week. Sky, we want you to get these routes. You're kind of putting guys in the routes. Maybe they haven't ran that route in about a week or two or haven't ran it at full speed with that cover that they were looking at, per se, from Detroit's playbook. So everything that matters that you kind of game plan around is unfortunately kind of scrapped when you go and get the last practice in when the injury comes up. So you don't have a chance really to go out there and, you know, redo the game plan or maybe do like little nuances, little tweaks. Because there's a lot like the in-breaking route on Blake Bell. I thought that's a ball you should have caught, in my opinion. I know the mm-hmm. seeing route that Noah Gray, that Pat kind of overthrew, maybe he could have hit him a little earlier. Obviously, Sky Moore, the ball that he overthrew him that Boog mentioned earlier, he was open from the jump. But I know Pat had to step up and he kind of threw off the timing a little bit. But those are little things, like DMAC just said. You could have figured those out if you'd have had maybe a day or two earlier to game plan a little bit more to know, all right, if they throw this cover, Sky, this is what I want you to look for. No, this is what I want you to look for. But you didn't have that opportunity, unfortunately. So, But those are things I'm sure to figure out, given the fact that, like Chuck said, we played the Jags in, what, 10 days? So there's plenty of time to correct your mistakes, watch film all weekend, get off your feet. And I'm sure it'll be, it'll be a much, much crisper offense. Next week. And, and some of that is also just early season details that need to get ironed out, that you need those actual live bullets in, in a game that matters to, to get those things actually working. It, everybody can't start off the season with the, the two-win Cardinals on the road where you know you can get anything you want to whenever you want it. So it's, it's a difficult thing that you have to kind of work through early on in the season when you're dealing with this young of a wide receiver core, to say at least. Not having the number one player that you can lean on obviously exacerbates that issue. Um, and, and to Mo's point, you know, talking about Sky being used in the preseason. If you're not going to use Sky correctly, it doesn't matter. Like, I, I, I'd love to sit here and be like, yeah, Sky should have played more in the pre. If you're not going to give him the opportunities in which his skill set fits, then you're just going to waste time. It's, 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 you it's sound like the way. same type of stuff we were saying about Claude. I mean, it's partially, but I, I would say that even Sky's much more talented than Clyde. But of course, I, I'm not a, a running back in the first round type of guy. But it, it's, I agree. They, the usage of players at times is always frustrating with this team, and that's on both sides of the ball. And so right now, it looks like, you know, the wide receiver court may be falling a little bit ill of that. And, and I'd say the, the, running, the running back core a little bit to that point as well. But that's a, we can get into the, the running game later. Yeah, Mahomes is overrated, man. Right. Wow. We lose by one point and he's overrated. But but anyway, so uh, yeah. All the receivers got they just gotta hit the judge machine, bro. That's all. Just hit the judge machine harder yeah. than what you've been doing, and we'll be fine. Yep. Uh, but speaking of the running game, man, I felt like Pacheco de- definitely needed to be in the mix a little more last night. I mean, yeah, when you look at the stats, yeah, he didn't average quite average three yards to carry, but hell, like he ain't really get like a rhythm, you know what I'm saying? I mean Same. they didn't give him a chance to. Yeah, no. it was like it was definitely just like a pass heavy type of game plan, you know. And that goes to your guys' point, you know, when Kelsey got hurt, it kind of affected things with the game plan a little little bit. So you kind of had to uh you had to scrap all what what you was gonna do and try try to come up with something within forty eight hours and you know that it, it's tough, you know what I'm saying? But I felt like as simple as this. 
those guys catch the ball, man, we win the game. Facts. <laughs> it's simple as that, man. Yeah, and it's not even it's not even catches all of them. It's one right. or two. If Kadari, if, if if Kadarius Tony doesn't have that ball go through his hands, you're not giving him a three seven point. point. If Kadarius, that's how the turnover on downs, right? Yeah, Kadarius. If Kadarius Tony catches the the third third down conversion, your in field goal range with under two minutes left. You're in the thirty right there. That's those it, two plays and, right there. And and you're you're golden. If Sky Moore catches the fourth and twenty five, you probably end up trying to get into field goal range afterwards. And and it's just it, a lot of things had to go wrong. But as far as the running game is concerned, I don't think they ever gave it a chance to really establish. And again, this is also a credit to the Lions who who had a very good game plan and applies to the, the zone concepts that they decided to bring out as well. But allow this offensive line to move forward. Sometimes you can't be running sideline to sideline like you have Travis Etienne out there to get to the edge. That's not what the running back room you have is built to do. Allow him to move downfield, downhill, attack the defense consistently, especially with this interior offensive line that I know can move people in the run game. They didn't try any gap power schemes. They didn't try any pin pulls. They didn't try any, try any uh, guard tackle counters. Nothing to, to allow them to move forward consistently. The, the offensive line was playing on teals most of the night. And while they did it well in pass protection, Give them a chance. Give them. They ran one screen, which was incredibly frustrating the entire night. They didn't even give them a, a shot to get out in space and try and knock some heads around. So, yeah, they, it was a it was a frustrating game planning usage from the running backs as well. It's like the coach staff forgot that we have like the best interior office line in the league. I'm like, don't we still got that? I know it, it just felt like this early, Sheesh. right? It felt mm-hmm. like they forgot about that last night at times, man. It was yep. one of those games where, like Boog said, like Andy kind of gets in that mode where he's like very vanilla with his play calling. And like to D-Mac's point, when you don't give this full arsenal of running backs a chance to really prove what they can do, you add in more athletic tackles so you can do more things outside of them and throw screens and things of that sort. And to not use it was kind of crazy. It was very frustrating via the run game because I'm not one of these guys that says Clyde should never be on the field. I think he has a role and a purpose on his offense. I just think the timing and the volume of it is what frustrates most people. When it's like second down, first down, I want Isaiah Pacheco in the game. That's just me. And on certain packages, if you are cool with having Clyde in the game on red zone, I'm okay with that. I'm comfortable. But in the middle of the field, in between the 20s, the best runners, in my opinion, I think you guys would agree, is Jet and his pop. Like, Clyde does not need to be running when it's second and four, like first and five. It just doesn't need to happen because we all saw the clip when Clyde missed the cutback lane. It's just something we've had these issues over and over again. So there's just certain plays that Clyde does well, and some plays he does doesn't he's just not as feel for. So his own running scheme is usually something he just doesn't do that well. So I'm keeping Pacheco in his lane. Jet is our third down, two minute back, and then I'll maybe sprinkle a little Clyde when they need a rest and give guys a little spare for break. But I don't want to see Clyde running the ball on second and short or third and medium, in my opinion. Don't want, don't don't start a drive with two back to back Clyde um, yeah, touches. Like, yeah, like, like, like we're don't. not doing. Like, Please, no, like that and, and Blake Bell under center snaps. Just throw it out of the playbook for the love of everything. Good in the world. <laughs> and I'm trying to be as nice that. as possible about it. I'm not trying to dog Clyde at all. I want to talk about that Clyde uh, cutback run that he should have had. Um, that clip everybody keep bringing up today. Here's the thing. Even if Clyde does find the right hole, he, if he does cut it back over to the middle, to me, the way the Lions linebacker was and the way the Lions safety was, I feel like he probably just only got two more yards. It's not like he has the juice. It's not like he has the juice to do it. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Yeah. If if he cuts it back, the line like you said, the linebacker probably stops him for two yard game and that's it. It, 
you're running the wrong place with the wrong guys. Yeah, CEH should not be having really strung good. out to the side. It's, it's not, not that's not how you get the job done with these running backs, dog. It even and and again, uh, Clyde is somebody that I think is a very limited running back. Even he's better running in between the tackles because he doesn't have the speed to get to the edge. Hide him within an offensive line and give him a sliver of daylight to try and get north and south and, and use his you know low center of gravity to move the pile after that. It's just it's it's incredibly frustrating. We know the limitations on these running backs, and it's like the coaching staff just doesn't want to acknowledge them. Yep. I know we do this thing with McKinnon where we said we're not gonna use him to the playoffs and all that, but come on now. Hey, that's at what some C- point yeah, we need to be C-Dot using said. him more than, than Clyde. Hey, that's what Hopefully C-Dot this said. is not a trend. I, I we we know the hierarchy in this in this running back room is pop, is jet, and is Clyde. I do, it doesn't need and we did the same thing last year. Y'all remember in the first four games, Clyde scored five times last year until he got hurt. So his usage is very high at the beginning of the season. I know it's frustrating, but by the end of the year, like D-Max said, around November, the receiver room, the rotation will be cut down to about five, maybe six guys. The running back room will be down to a two-man rotation. We'll know what the rotation is once we get halfway through the season. It's just these first eight weeks is kind of frustrating because it's like Chuck said, it's like the coaching staff is like trying to figure out what they have in certain spots. And I don't mind that, but most guys, to D-Max's point, we know what they can do and what they can't do. So we don't need to experiment about things we've seen for the last three years. Like Clyde's not doing anything new that we haven't seen since 2020. So you we, experiment with him. We do have to say, like they said in the comments, we do have to give a little more credit to Pacheco coming off that injury too. Oh yeah, he he, he dogged it through. I'm not mad at Pop at all for coming off that two injuries. They just ain't use them. They, if if you're not going to use them, then it doesn't matter. Like, what was the point in having them healthy? And, and he played well in the screen game as well. When he did catch the ball, he had a couple. Oh yeah, yeah. He, look, the screen game yeah, always works. Looked, That's never been an issue. We know the screen game. Really didn't. Play, he didn't get in that bag like he usually does. Is what I'm saying. He used but, one screen all game. One okay, screen bro. all game, and and. In a game in which you don't have Kelsey, you need to create some chunk plays. Those are easy buttons you can hit to get your offense in rhythm. And those are the drive starters, not CEH, that you can start with. And and he refused to do it. Just did not did not do it. And it Andy was, was a little rusty too. Yeah, Andy, I'll say Andy, he was either rusty or he didn't he wasn't ready to adjust without Kelsey exceptionally well. So I just work four games before, aren't they? It's like an extended preseason for you to get in your rhythm. Because usually around like week four, week five, that's when guys start like, all right, we start clicking, start rolling. Yeah. The only one that came in rhythm was Spags. And I was shocked because I thought it would be the other way around. I thought the offense would be rolling and Spags would have been struggling. But Spags came out in his bag. So, yeah, agree, I agree with that fully. To see. Even though it was an L, but encouraging to see. I'll take it. To me, I, I just feel like ever since that 2018, I mean, ever since um, really like, Alex Smith's career year before Patrick took over, I feel like the screen game usage has gone down uh, drastically, kind of, man. That's what it kind of feel like, man, because I remember when uh, Alex Smith was here, dog, we was killing in the screen game. Like, Kareem was eating off of that, dog. And then it's like, you know, ever since Patrick took over, we don't do that as much like we should, man. We, I I said that we kind of need to go back to that at times in the past. You know, we have been winning Super Bowls. We're getting to the AFC Championship game. We're going to the Super Bowl leagues. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I think part of it part of it is that they have, you know, better options in the passing game now that obviously Mahomes is Mahomes. But I, I agree with you, and I think that you can use Pacheco in the screen game because he has the ability to that, that speed and power element that Kareem Hunt brought to the table. It's not as good as Kareem Hunt, but it's a similar combination of the two that when you get him the ball in space with offensive alignment in front of him, it's scary to see. Like it, he's he's coming down the train tracks, and we saw it on the screen that he caught yesterday. 
So allow yourself to to be a little bit more uh, mixing it up uh, as far as the defensive looks are concerned with Pacheco's out there. Give him the opportunity to catch the ball because it looks like he's he's better at it. Absolutely. Yeah. But let's get to the offensive line. Um, for, for the most part, you know, they were solid. Um, as somebody mentioned about Trey Smith in the comments. I, people was uh, saying Aiden Hudson had his time with Jawan Taylor, and I was like, y'all need to go ahead and rewatch that game because I don't know what film y'all was watching. Aiden Hudson was dominating more when he lined up inside against Trey Smith. Now, yes. I agree that Trey Smith definitely had a real time with Aiden Hudson when he lined up inside. Like, Aiden pretty much did where the heck he won't in those situations. But when you look at the film with uh, Aiden Hudson and Jawan Taylor, Jawan Taylor definitely held his own last night. And another thing with Jawan Taylor, like, look, many people have mentioned it many times. I mean, him and Lane Johnson, they basically do the same thing as far as, like, time of the snaps. So the refs, they're they not going to call it unless they get pressure in the call it eventually. I mean, I think that may happen at some point during the year. I don't know, but. They're they, they going to have to start calling it a lot of tackles around the league. Well, and, a lot of, right. and, and a lot of all pro tackles. Right. It's going to be a lot of flags in the league they start doing. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, don't think, I don't think they will, regardless. I'm like they just—they just, yep. they just simply know the rule book and they know how to use it to their advantage. That's the only thing I can say about that. But, it's reality uh, situation, but yeah. So I—I I went through charted uh, pretty much the entire offensive line throughout the game, uh, specifically more on pass, pass, uh, passing snaps, just because I wanted to take a look at it. Um, so the the Trey Smith, Trey Smith, that gave up six uh, pressures. All six of them were Aiden Hutchinson moving inside. It, it just killed him um, because it's a tough it's a tough matchup for him with that speed, especially when they're able to use other ways in which they align the defense to get him one on one. And so it wasn't pretty. It was pretty much the end of the second half. They found that kind of adjustment and they went to it at the beginning of the second half as well. Um, and it, it gave him serious issues. Jerron Taylor, again, versus Aiden Hutchinson, I only had him giving up one pressure. He gave up four overall and. He just played very well. He was solid throughout the entire uh, game. I thought he, he played at a high level. Uh, Donovan Smith, I had him at six. PFF had him at seven is what it is. I thought he was above average, maybe not as good as I thought on the on the copy, but it was also a lot of Mahomes, you know, making sure um, that he was playing very well. And that ultimately is the important part because Mahomes is a guy that make, elevates his offensive line. Um, outside of that, I, I thought the offensive line was largely good uh, as a unit, but I I wanted them to be put in a little bit better positions with the run game to to play off of because they just they weren't allowed to move forward at any point during the game. From the clip I saw that me and Chuck was referring to, I only saw two L's from Juwan the whole night. And I think if the one with the spin move by Hutch, if you want to count that as an L, when technically you did your job because if he goes inside, Pat goes out, that's a win. Yeah. I wouldn't even call that an L because he, he exactly. it took three seconds to get to the pressure and Holmes exactly. had already escaped at that time. So if we're being honest, Jawan really only lost one rep overall to Hutch. So yeah, the overreaction basically is because usually the, the rep that he lost is the one that Pat usually had to be uncomfortable and he missed the throw this guy more. So overall, other than that, yeah, I think Jawan played a good night. Obviously, we know what um Joe Tooney and Creed did. Trey had a couple of missed blocks. I think he kind of missed a couple in the run game as well. But that goes to D Max point earlier. We should have used more man gap schemes, maybe pull guys more to get them going downhill, use that strength. I love zone schemes and what it can do for your offense, but you don't have to do it so much to where you forget what other things you can do. But overall, like I said, I, get, I gave the old line a B-plus grade. D-back, that's what I did off the yeah. first watch of the game. So I think they played more than good enough to give Pat time to make plays. Missed a couple of mistakes here and there, but overall, they did good enough to make plays and have enough to win the game. So, 
Yeah, that's where about is landing about a B plus. And I agree with you from the standpoint. And there were also some times in which Mahomes was creating those pressures um, just by fading a little bit. And I think it was a little bit of a mistrust in what you, he was seeing from the wide receivers throughout the night as well. Um, I think that that may have created a little bit more pressure for Donovan Smith and Juwan Taylor. But ultimately, there were escape lanes for him to go out of the B gap, you know, consistently if he needed to. So I don't think that it was something where Mahomes was under sheets because the, the offensive line was underperforming, in my personal opinion. Like you said, a B plus is, is a fair grade to give him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I've been critical on the O line all, all season. I thought they did pretty good, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Donovan, like you said, he had that one holding call, but I, I thought Mahomes had to move a little bit. I think he ran the ball too much. I think that was more because of the receivers. Not the mm-hmm. O-line, but I, I thought the O-line did good. I thought Juan did good. Uh, like I said, he knows how to manipulate the play. I mean, not the playbook, the rule book. It, it's fair game. So when Bill Belichick does stuff like that, we we uh, applaud him. Why, why hey, Jalen Hurts, had, how many times did Jalen Hurts use that mush-push rule when he did QB well, sneak? Almost every time? Yeah. yeah I, Man, they was hating on the telecast. Man, they was hating the whole night on that. Man, I, I thought that was pretty fun. Yeah, it was kind of weird. That that broadcast was was very weird in the ways in which they were trying to present that rule book. And, and it's like, no, you know, and this is obviously a problem where you're not talking about offensive alignment. It's a wide receiver and a broadcaster in the booth, and then a rules analyst. The offensive linemen all up and down Twitter are telling you. It's perfectly legal because they've seen it for the last two years, and, and, and <laughs> they have the ability to move their back foot. That's within the legal rule book, and he's timing the snap. That has happened consistently for the last two years, and every single offensive lineman is agreeing with that. And the broadcast was when it's well, I guess inexperienced or or just didn't know enough as far as that, and so they presented it to the nation, um, and that was a little bit of uh, uh, <laughs> of uh, panic journalism going on in that broadcast. Yeah. And then- also, my fault. One more thing, oh, uh, Chuck. My fault. Go ahead, bro. We, uh, like I said, with Trey getting that uh, pressure from uh, Aiden. I mean, we're not talking. We're talking like he's not a top five. It was just a top five pick. Like he, he's not yeah. a scrub. He's so, a heck of a player. He should. He should yeah. be beating. He should be beating Trey Smith when he when he's one on one on an island with Trey Smith. And again. He only went inside to play against Trey Smith because he was sick and tired of getting his butt beat by Jawan Taylor on the outside. He was sick and tired of it. So that's why he went to play against Trey Smith. And, and you know, it is what it is. But if you if you frustrated a, a guy as good as Aiden Hutchinson long enough at a tackle, that's that's why you go out and spend $20 million on a guy like that. Yep, exactly. Sounds like an upgrade to me. <laughs> right. Yeah, and then yeah so far. These troll fans, you know, all these Bengals fans and all these other fan bases. Y'all must pay attention to little old us. Hey, I know we was that important. I, yeah. I'm yeah. Like, like, y'all know what the hell y'all be watching. Because you remember the clip when uh, A. Hudson did, like, a double spin move, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, dog. Hey, they got a first down. They forgot to mention that. Yeah, you still gave up the <laughs> spin the wrong way. Like, what are we doing? It Why looks cool, but you that? gave up contain, bro. That's not your job. <laughs> the Bing, the Bing, to be fair, now they may have a little bit of PTSD of Mahomes getting a first down on a running play out to his it's right. So to their point, they may have a little bit of PTSD, so they didn't want to talk about that aspect of it. Got to be fair to them on that. Yeah, and it is what it is. And look, it, the beautiful thing about being on opening night and the defending champions is you get all the narratives. So uh, that's the fun part about it. Yeah, like um, the Chiefs dynasty in Jeopardy. We already asking that question. This is what it's like to be the big dog, huh? Dang. I like it on this side. The dynasty is over, man. Man. Like. 
after a one point loss, it's crazy. Every well, game, yeah, that's all. That's all it took. That's all it took was one Every one game. game loss. It it took two of your three best players not playing. <laughs> yes, <laughs> a one point loss where two of your best two of your best players were not out. We're not out there. Yeah, that's that's, that's how it goes, dog. Eight, eight drops. That's all it took, boys. Eight drops. Eight, you would you would think that uh, last eight night drops. counted for more than yeah. just one loss. That's all it took, boys. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what it's like to be a Patriots fan now when they have Brady. But man. let's go get some defense side of the ball, man. Okay, so we, we everybody knows we didn't have Chris Jones. He's out in the he's out in the stands, you know, watching the book, whatever. So give us your overall assessment on the defense line, how they did. Got a lot of pressures. I like what I saw from Felix. George definitely took a step this year. Um, Mike Dana got a lot of pressures, which I was definitely excited to see without playing next to Charles, without playing next to Chris. He definitely continued on this trend he had last year. I know we had to blitz a lot more. There were a lot of five-man, six-man fronts. I like what we did with Willie and bringing him off the edge. Leo did was great in the run game. He had a couple good stops. And overall, I think we only gave up 110 yards, D-Mac, if you want to check me, rushing overall. So I think overall they had a, we had a good day stopping the run. And coming into this game, I thought that would have been our weak point coming in. I thought David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs would have their way in the run game. But to hold that offense, but we agree that old line is probably top three, top five in the league right now, to only around 100 yards rushing, that's overall a great day for the defense. And up until seven minutes, they only had one drive where they went down and scored a touchdown. If it had been for that KT drop pass, they don't even see 14 or 20 points. So given what the D-line played without Chris Jones at that time to scheme up and get ready to have this moment, Spag did a great job, and I can't give them a credit to the D-line. They did way better than I thought they would for sure. So I got to give them their flowers. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Spags had a very good game plan. The defensive line equipped itself uh, better than I thought they were going to be able to. The interior of that defensive line was, was effective when they were given a chance to stop the run. Um, really, the difference was – after they figured out that they couldn't get to heavy personnel and run us in base because they had, you know, I think it was like three yards per carry in base. When they went to nickel, they were able to get after us and had over five yards of carry. And so that was really the big difference. Um, and that set up their play action pass. But as far as the defensive line specifically is concerned, like I said, interior defensive line did better than I could have been expected. I was happy that Turk Warden actually played a, a fairly significant role. Looks like he, he was healthy and that's really good to see for him. And, Mike Dana, George Koloftis, Felix all had multiple pressures. I thought all of them played um, as well or better than I expected them to. Um, I really liked what I saw from all three of them. I, I saw some interesting moves, certainly from Felix and George specifically. Um, I, I was I was encouraged by what I saw last night, specifically from the Edge group. And and I've continued to say this: it's going to be rough up until the point in which you get Charles back. It's going to be rough up until the point in which you get uh, Chris Jones back. But boy, when you get those two back and you're able to combine them on the interior rush and you're able to put George Karloftis out there and, and, and included and you have Felix and George coming off the edge, man, doing these types of things, it's going to be a beautiful sight to see. Because they, they're that four is a four that you can line up and say, I know two of these guys can win on any given play and get me off the field. So ultimately, that's 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 something I'm really excited for. But we're gonna have to wait to see that, unfortunately. But last night, defensive line played better than I expected them to against a very good offensive line for the Lions. And shout out to Spags for giving them advantageous situations in the ways that he used his front to do that. I mean, I, I see your point, Quinn. But here's the thing, like. It's not like Jared Goff has has been like a terrible quarterback since he's in the league. Like he's actually been solid for the most part. We look at his entire career. Like he's not a guy that's gonna be the sole reason why you win a game. But if you put enough talent around him and you put him in a good offensive system, like he currently is with with the Lions right now, 
he could be adequate. And like he was really dangerous, most dangerous when the Lions did play action passes. Actually, yep, that's what really shocked me about the Lions game plan offensively is that they didn't really do enough game plans. They didn't really have Jared Goff on the move that much. So that was the really the shocking thing. But you know, despite all of that, the defense definitely did a great job holding on. And they did in the defensive line, Mike, you mentioned Mike Dana, right, CJ? Mm-hmm. Uh Mike Dana, he definitely flashed and like Mike Dana's actually been a solid role player since he's had opportunities here. So, yes. yeah. this so, is first sack, not in the AFC West, right? I believe, I believe so. Probably is. That might be true. I mean, Dana, like I said, Dana played well, very well. And you, you say he's been a solid role player. We're going to be asking him, obviously, to do that a lot more this year because he's got to be an early down edge player because we don't necessarily trust Felix in that role yet. Even though Felix, I thought, was, you know, okay. He was, he was uneven as far as the run game is concerned. But he's clearly more of a designated pass rusher type right now. And so as long as Charles is out, Mike Dana has to be your primary edge next to George Kalopis on early downs because he can be stout against the run. But... He also showed some inside-outside versatility. He showed the ability to create some power. Occasionally, you know, use a ripper or swim to create pressure. So that's fine. Jared Goff, you know, a middle-of-the-pack quarterback. Obviously, he's going to stand in there and rip those those middle-of-the-field balls, and we'll get exactly into the, the weaknesses with the defense we saw. Um, there were things left out there by Jared Goff, but also Jared Goff made more plays than, you know, a, a below-average quarterback would. So it's a give and take. Um, but again, Defensive line versus a very good offensive line still overall played better than I expected. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, man, I've I not seen a lot of people want to talk about Nick Bolton. So, yeah, let's get to it, man. Yeah, they love it. Some, some people be, be killing with the Nick Bolton slander, man. Like, some people really think he's not that good, you know, for some reason. I don't understand. Wow. Yeah, I don't understand it. I really don't understand it. Uh, Nick Bolton, he's – he played. He played more like a true linebacker than me, bro. Like his coverage, his coverage skills may it may be his weakness, but it's not like how it was his rookie year. Like he's improved a little bit in the area, but overall, man, Nick Bolton was putting people on their ass last night, and mm-hmm. you could tell he's gotten better. And like he's gonna be a force to be reckoned with for years to come in this league. So he did a hell of a job last night, and I agree with. Uh, I think Ross said it. Um, he was definitely one of the MVPs last night. Oh, yeah, sure. He says the tone again. Yeah, man. Oh, my bad. No, no, no. You were good. Keep good. Go ahead. Because you were about to say exactly what I was going to say. The thing I was probably the most improved and was the most proud of when Nick Bolton getting everyone lined up. Because obviously, you know what? They're going to a team that's going to try to go tempo, try to get us off our heels, and try to get us going fast and what we need to be. And usually that's where your mistakes come from. Guys not being in a necessary spot. So for Nick Bolton to go out there and not have Chris Jones up front and the offensive line knows that, hey, we can run the ball up the middle and continuously do that and to take those shot plays like D-Max said and rip those digs. And that's where usually the football games usually won and lost, right? It's in the middle of the field. If you can't stop those plays, it's going to be hard for you to get off the field, especially on third down. And Jerry Goff took advantage of some of those throws to Josh Reynolds and Amon Raw had a decent game. But getting guys lined up and guys having a chance to play fast and get turnovers and get stops, that was very good and positive for me to see. Yeah, I think you, you said it. Nick Bolton setting the tone is a, a really great thing. And, and ultimately, some guys on your defense are not going to be full-fledged, you know, great all-around players. It, that's just not it's not how the defense is set. But you need somebody to get everybody organized. You need somebody that's going to be incredibly physical in the middle of your defense to really show out. 
And that's what Nick Bolton does. And I'm glad that he's able to do that, especially with a better athleticism than we ever saw from Reggie Ragland or, or Anthony Hitchens. And that's important. It's important to have those types of guys on your defense. Um, and so I, I thought he played a good game. Um, I thought there were times in which he got sucked in by some play fakes and, and left voids over the top, certainly in play action passes in between them and the safeties. But I would say that applies to all of our linebackers, really, um, outside of Drew Tranquil, who unfortunately did not play as much as I would have liked, especially in those nickel looks. So ultimately, good game from Nick Bolton. Yes, Willie Gay gets lost in, in two or three run snaps, but he's also going to you know, negate two to three plays just a game just because he's insanely athletic. And that's why he's a, that's why he's a will linebacker and Bolton is, is the, the mic. Willie is going to go out there, run around and create havoc. Some of the times it's not going to be great, but that's why you have Bolton who's more sound next to him. So um, yeah, linebacker position really harping on. I need to see Drew Tranquil in the nickel consistently. I know what these three guys can do in base. They do it at a really high level, but can't give up that middle field as easily as they did. Drew Tranquil needs to be out there in the in the nickel, whether it's with Willie or whether it's with Nick, he needs to be out there with either one. Thanks. I think yeah, I, that, I, the situation would be that rotation, what you just said. Yeah, I think that was my biggest takeaway too, man. We didn't see Drew a little bit more this game. I thought we then more than I thought we would. But I think we know with Spag's system, it'll take a while for him to get it all down. So I think towards the end of the year, we'll start seeing Drew a little bit more anyway. Absolutely. Yeah, that that that'll be part of it. Absolutely, that that'll be part of it because it we know it's going to take a little bit of time here. We we know Spags is is slow to adjust, so we'll see it happen eventually. It'll happen. He'll get there. <laughs> yeah, Especially like overall, that's why when I think it was Quinn or who said that point about like Jared Goff being like a pocket passer. Most of the QBs we see in our first six games are pocket passer outside of Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. I'm giving them air quotes. We don't see too many athletes in our first six games. We play Kirk Cousins, we play Aaron Rodgers, and Russell Wilson for whatever mobility he has left in his game. So we don't really see too many crazy athletes outside of Justin Fields in the first six weeks. And then in week seven, like D-Max said, we'll get Charles back. Hopefully guaranteed Chris will be back by then as well. So those athletes that we plan on seeing in the back half of our season are going to be after the bye. So for these first six weeks, I'm not really worried about the athleticism at quarterback we're going to see from a defensive standpoint. And again, it's the six-week mark is very important because Charles Amini, who changes the face of, of what this defensive line can do, especially on pass rush downs. And, and it's not even – and obviously Chris Jones is a whole different thing, but just having that ability to have three-plus pass rushers out there and then Mike Dana as your fourth instead of it being Mike Dana as your third and just George and Felix on the outside and you're throwing Tershawn Warden or Mike Dickerson in there or Mike Dickerson in there. That's it's even just that upgrade is much better for what you want to do from a pass rush standpoint. So you got to piece it together and, you know, getting to one on one here is going to be a tall task. But if you can get past this week with a win, you're in a position here to survive without your two best edge rushers or two best pass rushers to this point. And uh, and we'll see what ends up happening from then on out. I know Leo Chanel uh, may or may not be a full-time player at some point in his NFL career. Yeah. Uh, but at some – but I would love to see him – I would love, I would love to, for Spaz to get a few more snaps out of him, man. I would love that there's a way to do that because yeah. I, I just think he can be a force of nature for this defense. Yeah. Like, see, like, good things happen when he's in the game. Because yeah, I, I, well, I saw a clip earlier – when uh, Spags put that six-man front up against Jared Goff, yeah. and we had stopped Montgomery for like a, a two-yard gain or whatever, and I felt like when Spags used that, it was yeah. kind of effective. You know what I mean? 
Now, we, is that is that going to work for every quarterback we face? I mean, it may not. You know what I'm saying? It may just work for pocket quarterbacks like Jared Goff. But I just feel like this guy be a way for Chanel to get, maybe just get a few more snaps. Just a few more. That's it. And that's and, and it's a, yeah, and, and it's a it's a different sort of thing where in years past this team did not have a base defense that it trusts. They weren't running out there with Dorian O'Daniels, your third linebacker, and then feeling comfortable where you were at. The Lions are a team that uses more sixth offensive linemen or heavier personnel snaps, and, and yeah. we've seen in the past that give this team problems because they didn't have the physicality to do that. That doesn't exist anymore, and that's good. But it's also kind of not that important, unfortunately, to stopping modern NFL offenses. And so that's where we need <laughs> that's there where you we go. need <laughs> we need Drew Tranquil to be in on those nickel snaps because that gives you more options of actually having a chance to stop that. And and truthfully, you also need Chris Jones to be out there because he's also very good against the run, even though people want to not give him credit for that. And overall, like, yes. like we said that before the season, so this is probably the deepest linebacker crew we've had in years since when Derek Johnson was here. So if you got four guys, there's going to be times when we want Leo Chanel, Drew Tranquil, to, like Book said, to get more snaps. But at the end of the day, if those guys can come into you in your situational packages, I would love to see Drew more on third down, like D-Max said, on early downs, the teams would love to run the football like we do when we'll see Chicago. I would love to see Leo Chanel be on the edge and be an edge defender. There'll be packages where these guys will get plays, but we know the guys that are going to get most of the snaps is going to be Nick Bolton and Willie Gay because they know the system is back to trust them. But there will be situations where Leo Chanel will have an impact to make it a turnover. Drew Trank will make it a PBU. They're going to have their chance to have an imprint on the game. It just wasn't as much as we wanted to week one. But I have no doubt Spags know what these guys can do, and we'll see their imprint on the defense going forward for sure. Yep. All right, well, let's get to the secondary, man. Trent McDuffie, absolute stud. Absolute stud. Like, he held his own last night. I mean, this all kid. All the way. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He got have a, he, I feel like he's going to have an all-pro at some point in his career. At some all point, he's going to get that all-pro selection. That's how good he is, bro. Like, he held down his side of the field, and I, 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 I was impressed. No issues with Trent last night. So, I mean, how how – I mean, you mentioned the CJ. He's going to get an all-pro at some point in his career. I mean, D-Mac Boogie. I mean, let's talk about it, man. I mean, what did you guys think about Trent last night? Well, I said it earlier, man. When he it, – it, forcing the fumble, that was – that, <clears throat> excuse me, was an all-pro type play. That right there. But the play that was even more impressive was the tackle, the open field tackle. Making those type of tackles, that's that's all-pro type plays. Uh Sky's the limit. If he can stay healthy, we've been saying that. You've been saying it, Chuck, for sure, all summer. If he can stay healthy, we know what type of player he can be. He's by far the best player in the secondary we had, by far. Yeah, yeah I mean. Even with Jerry Sneed being, being like the utility force, the, uh, the chess piece, he can move all over the field. By far better. All right. Yeah, Wait. I mean, I – I really like LeJarrius Sneed. I thought that he had a, a good game last night. Um, I thought he was his normal self as far as being a force defender. Um, and I was concerned about that because obviously he did not play during preseason. So I was concerned about how much he was going to be able to really show out and how many snaps he was going to be able to take seriously. Uh, but I was encouraged by what I saw from LeJarrius Sneed last night. So I don't have any complaints about it as far as that's concerned. But I'm I mean, the, the secondary is just such a difficult conversation because as encouraged as I am by Trent McDuffie, and I thought Joshua Williams played a, a, a solid game as well, the safety duo is, is concerning. Um, mm. Yeah, Justin, Rossi here wants you to go off on Justin Reed. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, ooh, it's 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 frustrating because I mean, Ju- Justin Reed is a guy that I've talked about. He played well down the stretch, yeah, and that is absolutely a fact. You got to give it to him. But the way that he started off last year was incredibly frustrating. It was soft in the run game at times. He, he was put out there man-to-man. He was getting burnt toast. He was not able to really be a factor in zone coverage, just triggering too slow on, on a lot of routes. And looks like that last night. He was not a factor as far as trying to take away the middle of the field in, in Jared Goff's play-action game, and I talked about a lot in, in state scheming. They are going to use that heavily and try and attack the middle of the field, and that's where guys like Justin Reed have to step up and take the ball away. Wasn't able to do that, even on a play in which, um, oh, man, I don't know who exactly got the pressure, but I think it might have been Leo Chanel was sent off the edge and Jared Goff was late throwing the ball. Justin Reed is able to knock it away, but that's easy. That's a pick six, and and I hate to do this, but Tyron Matthew takes that back to the house without a second thought. If you triggering well and, and can get to there on time, that's that's it. Those are the type of plays that are the difference between winning and losing a lot, trying to take the ball away consistently. And so I've said it multiple times, this defense needs to turn in more turnovers and they're not. And that and I don't know what exactly the solution is. I said if it's Mike Edwards and Brian Cook, fine, but it's not going to be because I know the commitment that they've put into Justin Reed here. So he has got to step up. He talked a lot during the entire offseason about, oh, I want to have this type of, of impact in the defense. I'm, I'm in a defensive system for the second time and the first time in my career. I, the talk is over. I need to see some results because it, otherwise I'm cool with cutting you in the offseason at this current moment in time unless you turn around to play a lot better. And see, that's the frustrating part because in the box, he'll have times where he'll make a play in the run game, stuff a pass, like make it the open field tackle. And I'll give him his credit. But then to D-Max's point, when you're in coverage and then you're not making plays – that's where you're going to make most of your money at. I'm fine with you, like, getting in the backfield, getting the TFL, getting a pressure. He does all those things well. But his biggest weakness is getting in coverage. And if you can't cover guys one-on-one, you're going to be baited and you're going to be targeted every single week, especially when it comes to guys who can win in the middle of the field to D-Max point. Tight ends and slot receivers is where the money is in the league. If you can't cover in between those hashes, you are going to lose games or they're going to target you a lot, which may cause you to lose games. So if he doesn't figure that out or put him in situations where he doesn't have to cover certain guys – it's going to continue to be an issue for him. And that's it's, I'm not going to overreact too much because I know it's game one, but he did talk a lot this summer about him being comfortable. My second year in the system, first time ever having a back-to-back DC in his career. So I do expect some improvement from him, but last night was definitely not the best start, like D-Max says. So. And, and I'm just praying. I'm just praying that this is simply uh, a, a, a comfortability standpoint that when they have Charles and Chris Jones back, that this defensive line is going to be creating consistent pressure from that standpoint. And that means that you can use more robber looks where you feel a little bit more comfortable rather than just having him in man coverage. But man, it's just, it's frustrating to watch him at times. And look, he did make plays yesterday. Like CJ said, he had a few good open field tackles. He obviously knocked down the fourth and two pass also as well um, to, to get a critical stop. But, I need I need I need to see more consistently on a snap in snap out basis than I'm seeing from Justin Reed right now. And I'd like to see a little bit more from Brian Cook, but it's not as dire at this current moment in time. Um, Justin Reed is letting me down at this at this time. I know oh, I know I know on that one play on the draw where Jameer Gibbs had a big run. Uh, Justin Reed was right there to make the tackle, and he whiffed so bad. Dog. Yeah, he got he got yeah. remixed. Uh, that yeah. looked very NFL Street. Um, I thought it was NBA Street Volume 2 yeah, also. J- uh, Jameer Gibbs, I think, 
pulled out a Kyrie half spin on Justin Reed, which I didn't think I would ever see on a football field. But yeah, it, it wasn't pretty at all. Uh, that was unfortunate. Yeah, but that was after Gibbs. I already made contact with Reed. That's when the spin boy happened. Yeah, I, he, like I said, I'd never seen a half spin in football, but just, just Jameer Gibbs is special of a player. He is. He was able to pull it off. So. Great contact balance by Jameer, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, many here. Girl. I also call him. Yeah, whatever. It's probably because I'm on this show. That's probably why I stole him off. But, nah, <laughs> uh, but, nah, but yeah, um, somebody had mentioned, I mean, it was Quinn. He mentioned uh, Jalen Watson, like, um, he didn't really play that much last night, but I just, mm-hmm. I just think because we're kind of deep at corner. At yeah, I mean he's the fourth you corner. Um, yeah. he it was it was a battle between him and Williams during camp of who right. was going to able to take that job over. Williams mm-hmm. won, so he's the third corner, and that's why he's going to get the the majority of snaps. And so right now Watson is going to be a guy that's more of a gunner. But look, guys get hurt. Obviously, we know Snead is still having this knee injury that he is trying to manage it, and fortunately he was able to play through it last night, but. Somebody's going to go down eventually. You're not going to go through the season to have all top three of your corners be healthy the entire year. Um, it would be great if it did, but and I hope it did, but it's not going to happen. So you need guys. You need you need depth in, in Jalen Watson, um, and so that that's that's a good thing at least that he's just kind of sitting there waiting the rings. And we've seen when he's asked to to step up, he's able to. So that's the fortunate part about him stepping into his second year. But yeah, he's he's the fourth corner right now, um, and that's because you have two really good corners in front of them and, and one solid one swan. And I think that's ironic because this time last year, Jalen was low-key our, our second corner because Trent went down mm-hmm. the injury. Trent went he, down. Had, he had outplayed Josh up to this point last year. So yep. mm-hmm. Josh kind of took it personally coming into camp. And I know everyone kind of heard that tidbit that the DB coach and Spag said, like, they, nobody really separated themselves. And I said this in our chat, we won't get those answers until week one. So we pretty much know who's yep. pretty much separated themselves as the third corner, being that Trent and Snead are our top two. And it, it's been Josh. And that's kind of been a good – it's always going to be a good battle between those two because if one guy does go down, like D-Max said, or doesn't play well or takes a step back, one guy can get that spot back. And that's you know that's good for competition. It's always like, like, like iron shoppers iron makes guys better. It breeds excellence. And when you have a guy in front of you that's – same class as you, same age you, doing the same things. You want to be on that level as him. So it keeps you sharp, keeps you mentally locked in. And there will be plenty of moments where Jalen Watson will have his opportunity to play. Trust me. We have a lot of good receiving cores we see on this schedule. Jalen Watson will have a chance to make his imprint on this defense. Trust me. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm I'm excited for what this cornerback room can do. I just – I'm just saying I, I hope. And in this – it's I don't want to overreact too much because I still believe that this defense, when it comes together, it has its pass rushers, is going to be really good because of everything that that force multiplies for even the spine of this defense. I just I want to see a little bit more adjustments in the way that they use these guys. Um, but at, at least for the early returns, man, it, I, I love watching Trip McDuffie play because, God, I mean, when, when you see a little guy out there playing great coverage as well, but also sticking his head in and just absolutely taking the, the ball away. Uh, yeah, you, you got to love what he can bring to the table. Boom, he plays, that's, that's why he so plays so physical for such a, a small exactly, corner. I love it. That's exactly why I'm so high on him, Bud, because most of all, what do we say about some of the top corners? They're not physical guys. They don't want to hit. Trent's never been a bad tackler since he's got to Kansas City. I've never nope. seen him like not be afraid to go in there and put his nose in and stick a ball. From the Arizona game last year, unfortunately, is where he got hurt. Till the end of the season, he's always been a willing tackler. And that's one thing I love about Trent Gain. We know he stays a great job staying in phase. He doesn't really get beat over the top that much. I would like to see him get more turnovers. That's probably the next phase in his evolution of his growth. And I'm sure that will come with time. But having a corner who's willing to tackle. And, you know, you ask any defensive player, the worst tacklers are usually what? The corners. 
the yep. smaller guys, they're softer. They don't want to put their nose in there. Trent's never been that guy. We've never had to question him on that. So to have that going forward, him setting the tone like that, that's a great tone setter for this defense, especially for that DB room. Sure. I love that from Trent. And yeah. honestly, the funny thing about it, about Trent now, is even though I agree with you, I want to see him take the ball away from more. Their teams are scared to throw him. Yeah, play. Exactly. <laughs> Joe Burrow got scared to throw him the, the throw the ball his way during the the during the first matchup that they had against Jamar Chase because he was taking him out of the game a lot in one on one situations and, and he fooled Joe Burrow in the in the first drive of the AFC Championship game. He could have had a pick really in that game. Pick. In fact, he dropped it. Yeah, and yeah. so the Trent Trent is, is equipping himself well. I, I think that the the biggest thing that I can take away strictly from this game last night, as far as defense is concerned. The investments that have been made on that side, Nick Bolton in the second round, Trent McDuffie in the first round, George Koloftis in the first round, Felix Sanduke Zoma in the first round, Jalen Watson, and, and, and obviously Joshua Williams, those investments look to be returning dividends properly for those premium picks that you are putting in. And that is a good sign for obviously moving forward in the ways in which you have to continue to maintain a high level of defense. Um, well, not even a high level of defense, but a serviceable defense um, on, a, on a budget. So I will say that certainly a credit uh, uh, to Brad Veach in the ways in which they're identifying talent and using that that premium talent. And for all Man. the complaints we've had of, of the defense improvements we're going to get, and it's trending toward that way, like DMX said, when we'll get Charles back, when Chris is back, if this is at that level that we've all, if we go into the playoffs with a top 12, top 10 defense, can you imagine what this team is going to look like? We, Man, look, that's why I don't care about the offense, because I know what we can do. The scoring has never been an issue for us. I've seen us put up points with Alex Smith, that quarterback, with no receivers. So I'm not mm-hmm. worried about number 15 at all. If this defense can play at a top 12 level, in 2019, we were top 15 hovering around that. If we even get close to that level, if not better, there's no team that I'm worried about playing in the playoffs. And I say that respectfully. I'm really worried about nobody. If the defense can play at that level, like D-Mac said, we have two guys that can win one-on-one whenever in Charles and Chris. You add that to a back end with multiple guys that can play one-on-one coverage with Snead and Trent, there's literally a player at every level that can be an impact player. I and mean, when you have that as a defense, that's when you start moving forward and start having an elite level defense, honestly. Like the, you, you, and, and there was always going to be a weakness somewhere in the unit. If it's the safeties, that's fine. With If you're using Drew Tranquil correctly in the nickel, you have the corners that you have, and your four-man fat pass rush on, on, on downs is going to be Charles, Chris Jones, um, and, and you know George Koloftis and Felix. That's a formula that could get you consistent stops in, in January and February, in my personal opinion. We just got to hold on and get there. It's going to take a second, unfortunately. Just be a little patient. Just be a little bit. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um and and I just want to throw this out there real quick, you know, just to highlight McDuffie's game. You know, last night, eight total tackles, one forced fumble, uh, no completions allowed when he was targeted. So hell say that, say that what, what say more can you ask for? Say the same last part again, say it one more time. No completions allowed when he was targeted. Oh boy. That's, oh, damn, boy. That's crazy. Ugh. Why why would, you, why, why would you why would you want to throw at him? It's gonna be a lot more old Tell him kick that count up. I like that. He's not allowing you to to have any type of breathing room out there. Why would you want to throw at him? Why yep. why, why would you even try? So the turnovers will will come. They will come eventually, y'all. Yep. So just gotta be a little patient. Um, but yeah, let's we gotta go ahead and talk about it just to, as the show kind of concludes here. Okay, so everyone knows. I mean, we saw Chris Jones multiple times with sitting between his agents and whatnot. You know what I'm saying? People were clowning the agents saying they look like home alone villains or whatnot. <laughs> I got a laugh out of that by the way. Um but yeah man like how long y'all think this holdout is gonna play out man like how 
how many more things you think Chris is going to miss? Does, does is he really serious about um, extending this to week eight? It would be incredibly fiscally irresponsible if he decided to miss until week eight, in my personal opinion. Um, but if he does, it is what it is. Uh, the Chiefs' offer, like I said, would not change if they had given up forty points last night. They are going to keep it white where it is. Uh, Nick Bosa's contract does not have any bearing on it. The one thing I will say, it's it's interesting that they offered a fully guaranteed contract. You would think that they would just be able to make up the difference in incentives. Just defensive play of the year, double-digit sacks, winning a Super Bowl. Just make up the difference that way. I don't know if that's been offered. I don't know if, if the the – the agents have have floated it and, and they or they don't want to because they really want to make the headlines. I don't know. I still think that he's getting bad advice and I think it will be significantly worse advice. Um, it will be very, very detrimental for his fiscal responsibility if he decides to hold us a week eight. But um, he can come back anytime. I don't know when it is. The only thing I will say, I think the fact that you did see him in the building at least tells you that there isn't any uh, any uh, hey, get me off this team type of thing yeah animosity around the corner so at least from that standpoint that's positive and, and as i've continued to say he needs to play for the chiefs this year um simply put so there's always gonna be something you have to give up in negotiations i know fans like they hate hearing the, the talk that we have on twitter and the conversation we're having but at the end of the day we don't know the details we don't know what's going on in those meeting rooms we don't know what beach is saying his representation all we do can is see the pressure that chris jones is having at the make ronald mcdonald house and seeing him at the game and Everyone's going to come up with their own narratives, and you hear a different report every day about what he wants, what he doesn't want, what's been offered, what has been offered. We don't know the hard, concrete evidence. So until it actually happens, it's going to – I think he'll show up eventually. If I had to put a guess on it, I'm guessing by week six, maybe when Charles comes back, maybe he's waiting on that, I'm guessing. But hopefully before then, it would be ideal. But I don't think, like D-Max said, sitting out to week eight, I don't think that proves a point to anybody. It's definitely not a smart financial decision because I don't think you're ever in the business of losing money because losing – what is like a $1.2, $1.1 million per game. That's I don't care how rich you are losing a million dollars a game to play football for three hours. That's not smart to me. So <laughs> um, I think he comes back very soon, um, hopefully sooner than what we think. But, yeah, it's just the overall it's just a sticky situation because we just don't know. That's why everyone's just so frustrated because it's a part of the thing. you got to let the team do their job. And I know it's frustrating to say and hear that, but we just got to let it play itself out. The only thing we can do is focus on the guys who are on the field that are making plays for us right now and figure out how we can win games. So And when Curse comes back, we'll, like you said, we'll come with open arms and be ready to roll. But for now, we got to win with what we got, and I think we have enough to do that. So, pay that man, pay him. I, I I want this shit to be over with, man. I, I think, even though I do think we missed Travis Kelsey a little bit more this game, I think even with just Chris Jones being out there and his attitude, he's contagious with how with his uh enthusiasm, energy, yeah, his energy. If he would have been out there, I think our defense could have still made one more stop. But so I hope it, it, it's over soon. I don't think he's gonna do the whole eight weeks. Me neither. I I really just don't see him. If the Chiefs say we go zero and two, I think it's a better chance of him actually coming back. Because then I think the competitor in him, he doesn't want his team to get too far in the hole. He'll come back anyway. So I, I think Chris Jones will be back. I, I don't think he's go eight. Like you said, that's a lot of millions. And then I think he'll start thinking he's letting his team down. I don't think he'll be out too much longer. Yeah, appreciate the compliment, David. Um, so, so the, here's the thing: like you, like you mentioned, the defense could have made one more start, right? 
Um, after the Chiefs inexplicably went for it on fourth and twenty-five, they had a thirty-two. When I saw that the Lions only had two yards to go, I was like, I don't like this because this is where you're gonna need ninety-five. And what do you know? Lions convert first down, won the game. Um, but here's my here's my thing. The stuff that I read about regards to Chris Jones' situation and regards to the agents that he's with, um, I don't know if it's all the way true. I mean, the information information that I read, I mean, it looks like it's factual, but like it could be factual. But I know I know this. Chris Jones needs new representation. He needs, he needs a new agency, man. These get these cats, they aren't good for him at all. They really not. Just looking at their track record, like the only other star they had. As far as the Cat Brothers, the only other star they had on their roster was T.Y. Hilton. And T.Y. had a short run, unfortunately, due to injuries. Um, yeah. But since mm-hmm. then, they only, have, they only have six active NFL players on their clients overall. And I think when they broke it down, like, one of the brothers don't even have a client at all. Like, it's the other brother that got all the clients. So, mm-hmm. they they banking on Chris Jones to, like, save for, the, for, for him to save their business. But at the end of the day, dog, Chris, man, I don't care if Chris got to miss a game or maybe two games to get new agency, get new representation, but it, it's needed, bro. Like, I don't know. It, it, it's it's not even to the point where, like, obviously as a Chiefs fan, I want this to get done. I want them to pay Chris Jones. I want him to, to be back with the team. I'm concerned legitimately for his fiscal future. He is in if he holds out to week eight, he will be saying goodbye to ten million dollars this year and losing ten million dollars on his tag next year. That is a fiscal loss he will not recoup at 30 years old. It's not going to happen. And so I, I'm I'm legitimately concerned for Chris Jones and the, the advice that he's getting in this situation because this is the type of stuff that you come to regret as you look back in your career. And I I, I hope. I hope that he realizes the the offer on the table of a guaranteed twenty seven million dollars next year and the year after is completely exactly the the type of deal that he should be accepting right now, and and if he doesn't, then he's probably going to lose significant amounts of money, um, and so that would be something that'd be a shame for it to happen because I love Chris Jones. He he's a a career chief in my personal opinion. He should be. He's a, a ring of honor level player, in my opinion, multiple time all pro, a guy that has absolutely played at a high level for two Super Bowl teams, um, hopefully future <laughs> future Super Bowl teams as well. I I, I don't want to see that happen to Chris Jones. And, and it should also be said, he's he's a good guy. Like he, It's not like he's a, a, a mean person. Like he, he's out there at, at fulfilling his charitable, um, you know, uh, obligations. Um, and yes, part of that obviously was a little bit of a media stunt actually talking to the media, but he also was filling his responsibilities. It wasn't out there somewhere on a beach or anything. He obviously cares about this team. He cares about the people in the locker room, the people in the locker room like him. Um, and you saw the even just in the America's game, Mahomes, <laughs> Mahomes and Kelsey have a, 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 revel, a level of reverence for him as well as special part of of this team. So. It's not it's not just about obviously me as a Chiefs fan wanting to see Chris Jones on this defense again. It's about me kind of feeling bad for what's hap- what could be happening to his, his you know fiscal future. 
and be mindful this is the third contract i think everyone forgets that so when you're comparing it to situations like nick bosa or like yeah, parts of other players they're in their mid-20s early 20s working on their second deals the third contract for any non-quarterback is always the hardest one to get that's why we're in this situation that we're in right now because chris level original is an all pro level player like d-max said but there's always gonna be a little give and take the team wants to protect themselves in the deal Chris said he wants a raise and deserves a certain type of money to where he can feel comfortable with his representation. But at both sides are going to have to give up something, whether it be an extra year off the deal or more guaranteed money up front at signing. You're going to have to give up something to make sure both guys can be compensated in the, in the negotiation, we'll say. But it's definitely something that I think both sides will be able to work out for sure. Yeah, and that's why I said it's not a it's not a comparison to Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa is the reigning defensive player of the year at 25 years old. He deserves to reset the market because that's how great of a player he is. And I love Chris Jones. I think Chris Jones on his best day can go toe-to-toe with Nick Bosa as far as affecting the game. But it's just different when you're five years younger and you're going coming up on your first extension. It's just different. And so and five years younger, and you have a defensive player of the year that you're coming off of. So it's it's different there. Yep, big facts. And um, I was about to, I was about to respond to Chris's comment talking about Drew Rosenhaus. I mean, first <laughs> of all, the Cast Brothers they they learned up under Drew Rosenhaus, but I don't know if they learned the right things or not. No, uh, they didn't. But somebody <laughs> mentioned somebody mentioned Drew Rosenhaus would have had Chris Jones shit to Miami. Uh, that was funny. That was funny right there because of the Tyree situation. Drew Drew would have been much more defi- decisive about the situation. He would have said, "Do I feel comfortable with this this offer? No, I don't think that. I know you guys aren't coming off of this money, which you, you said with Tyree Kill. So we need to be traded if we want this money." And I'm sure that Drew Rosenhaus had that conversation with Tyree Kill. Like, okay, this is going to be their offer. It's not moving up, no matter you know Devontae Adams deal in the Raiders. Do you want to stay here and accept less money, or do you want to reset the market? Tyreek Hill made his choice, and that's perfectly well within his right, and obviously we moved on from it. But obviously the Cats brothers are, are not as decisive as that. And again, I really hope it doesn't end up costing Chris Jones significant money as a result. Um, it reminds me a little bit, you talk about the him them learning under Drew Rosenhaus. It's kind of like when Matt Patricia was learning under Bill Belichick and just learned all the wrong ways to try and be a successful head coach. You clearly did not take enough notes. And that's the thing about being an agent. You make you learn about timing of those decisions. Like Chuck said, like before the draft and after the draft, if you really felt that they weren't going to move the offer to the max point, you would have made that decision back in March. Like right after the Super Bowl was over, right after the run, hey, what do we want to do? Like, do you want to make an extension here? Because this is the, the ballpark they're going to offer. You knew that number months ago. The number they offered you now is not shocking news or new information. You knew what they were going to offer. You just decided to play hardball and say we could probably get more, and we're going to try to strong arm them to see if they can move off that number. But the Chuck and D-Max point, they're not moving off that number. So it's either you're going to lose money or you're going to take the number they offer, which is respectable money. I'm not trying to count your pockets, but it's not like we're just giving you chump change at the end of the day. Like $10 million guaranteed plus the 27 next year at DMX point, it's not little money to anybody in the NFL. I don't care what position you play. So I know it's not ideal. Like he said, he wants a raise and deserves as such. But like I said, to my point, there has to be some kind of give and take. you got to give something to get something in this negotiation. And I'm sure Beach knows this now. Do the Cash Brothers know this? this? That's probably where I have a little doubt. I don't think they do in this in this current situation. But it's definitely something they have to have those conversations over, which I'm sure they're having right now. So. And you mentioned the client list. This is the inexperience that comes with not negotiating big contracts. You don't know the timing. You don't know who you're dealing with. You don't know exactly the entire landscape of the NFL. If you have more experience being able to do that, then you understand those things. You're able to set up your client for success. As of right now, you tried to play hardball with the, uh, a big ass rock that's not moving. So I wish you the best of luck. I hope your client doesn't suffer for your incompetence. 
a rock shoe. That thing will turn to a boulder now. Yeah, I mean, that's a plateau. That's a, it's a plateau. You're, you're, that offer is not <laughs> moving. What's the thing? When an unstoppable force meets an immovable object. That's where we're at right now. So. Yeah, but guess what? The CBA is the bigger unstoppable force. So I wish you the best luck. No <laughs> yeah, nah. You ain't lying, dog. At the end of the day, man, look. Uh, Chris mentioned Nicole Lynn, too. I mean, even though she under clutch sports, look. Nicole Lynn, she's really good. <laughs> She really good at her clients. Don't bring clutch into this. She's an excellent Nicole. agent. Shout out to Nicole, Nicole Lynn. She, an excellent agent. she negotiated two massive record setting contracts this offseason. Shout out to agent Nicole Lynn. We love it, baby. Absolutely. Absolutely. Shout out, shout out clutch. I was just about to shout out clutch sports. Chuck, say it. Y'all, y'all didn't let me finish, though. Say it, say it, Chuck. She was independent. I think she was like, why your voice crack? No, say it. Why your voice crack? Say shout out Clutch Sports, Chuck. What happened? Say it, Chuck. You can't say it. He's not going to be able to say it. He's not going to be able to say it. You know I'm a clip to say it. Say it. Hey, look. Say it. Say it. Say it. Say it. Chuck. Say it. Say it, man. Say it, bro. Please. Please. Why did he pull out his phone so bad? Why did he pull out his phone like that? Chuck, <laughs> come on, Chuck. We got to hear it, man. D-Mac, I'm on his ass. Say it, say it, Chuck, please. The way he ripped it off. I can't stand you, bro. He said, "Say it, say it, say it." I will give you that's a great, that's a great acquisition by Clutch Sports to have Nicole Lynn on their squad, bro. So, yeah, they, I guess they got to get the credit, right? Shout out Nicole, shout out Black Women. Shout out to Nicole. Shout out Black Women. Amazing job. Got to give it credit. Or even uh David Mugaleta, Mugaleta. Shout out to Dave too. Yeah, athletes first. Yeah, go to one of them. Go to one of them for every day, bro. Somebody who has veteran leadership. Yeah, just I, obviously it, it, there's our you know negotiating things of that nature, but just I somebody's got to get into his ear and just tell him what the actual I mean, circumstances presented here, man. Because it, it's just it's tough. It, it's it's tough I right now. Maybe like a hypothetical, like I know it's, it's 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 a wild take, but we have seen players represent themselves. If a fan came up to you or someone in the organization came up to Chris's representation or put a bug in Chris's ear, Chris, have you ever thought about representing yourself? Just as a thought. Not saying do it now. But I just, just to, it, I gave it a, a thought about for a second. Just send them the Reddit post, man. They broke it down great. Just, just see what actually is, is hey, Paul, coming on the line here, man. <laughs> the the things that that it there's a lot of ulterior motives that are happening right now that aren't for Chris Jones and, and, and his best interest. I know it sounds good for when a person is like, Yeah, I'm gonna get you this 30 million dollars a year. All you have to do is just sit out. That's not how this this business works. <laughs> it's not. It's, it's it's unfortunate. And when you look at his client list, I wonder what he said when he saw that. Who you guys represented? Who are your references? They were like, um, T.Y. Hilton. T.Y. Hilton. So he was like, okay, he signed up for that. Wow, I'm shocked. I'm genuine. I'm genuinely shocked. Like that's being your third contract. Like I said to my point, it's the hardest one to get if you're not a quarterback. It's oh, absolutely. One to do because you're usually around thirty. This is your yeah. last big deal that you're going to mm -hmm. get in your life. So I'm not mad at Chris for trying to get as much money as possible. But to D-Max's point, you're trying to strong-arm the defending Super Bowl champions. We've done this with and without you for the last seven years. With Ten years of giving it to Andy Reid coming to Kansas City. This is not the team you want to play hardball with. And I want Chris to get his money, too. So it's kind of like living in between a rock and a hard place. But I don't think you trying to lose. Leverage losing money is not a smart business decision. Like I, I would need to see the list of players that are 29-plus years old that get 
$59 million guaranteed. guaranteed. Because that's what he's looking at. It's, it's $27.5 million guaranteed at signing for the next two years. I would love to see the list of 29-year-olds that got that level of guarantees. No injury clause, nothing whatsoever, just fully guaranteed. It's it's not a deep list, I promise you. And and not understanding how much that gives you compared to what you're trying to leverage against, it's it's a concerning aspect for what Chris Jones is doing during this holdout. So. Hey, Chris, there would have been a lunch meeting. Chris would have walked out. He said, all right, I'm going to head out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but at the end, at the end of the day, bro, like like CJ, you mentioned about um Chris representing himself. Yeah. Um, that I mean, I would love for him to do that too. I just wonder if he has the financial financial literacy himself to yeah, do that. The because because the way this is going, I don't know, bro. I really it don't might know. be a little too late for that now, though, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought about that a long time ago, but like to everybody's point, I think he was pretty much dug in with these boys. And that was my biggest fear, like that they don't have the respect or have the experience in this type of situation. And to D-Mac and Chuck's point, they clearly don't. So, so and I want to address what Paul said. I want to address what Paul said in the comments, too. I'm like, I'm sure friends and family have talked to Chris about this. Right? Look, Chris is standing firm with his agents, and he may have some thoughts about this on his own, too. But th- this is where we're at right now. It is what it is. Yeah, but other than that, man, it's on the week two in Jacksonville. I think we're gonna bounce back. I'm not worried. Sure. It's week one. It's better to get this stuff out the way now than later on the season with things when stuff is on the line. So, yeah, I mean, look, this is this is the Kansas City Chiefs. Y'all know and love, man. It, it, early season struggles. We're, we're we're working out everything up and down. Spags is going to be slow to, to some personnel adjustments. Uh, the wide receivers are going to have random struggles early on in the year. Uh, you know, Mahomes is, is going to act, you know, like he ain't got no sense for about two plays a game just for the heck of it. Uh, and then, you know, Andy Reid is going to make mind boggling decisions uh, for the first eight weeks. And then, you know, by November, it, it'll look fine. So early stretch. This is a big game, though. This is on the road. AFC. This, this game ca- counts a little bit more for seeding. This is going to matter more. You don't want to go to 0-2. And, and 0-2 is not insurmountable. We even saw it last year. The Bengals did go 0-2 to start out the season. They were just fine. But you do not want to go 0-2 to start out, especially in the circumstances of this game. You want to have a bounce back, hopefully, um, with at least one of your superstars back in Travis Kelsey. Real quick, before I go to the sponsor, um, I just got a question for everybody in this room. Do you think the Chiefs at times last night when you saw them play, do you think – they was holding back some stuff like, like, look. Oh yeah, Detroit, yeah Detroit's a good team. We may be able to get away with beating them with our B minus, B minus game. Just D plus game. Yeah, yeah, B minus C plus. But yeah, like D Max said, he's probably a little more tougher. Craig, I probably should be more on his side. But you think they're gonna just unleash on Jacksonville now? No, no, no. Having Kelsey back changes a lot, and I think they will unleash more. Sure. Because it's Doug Peterson also. That that's the biggest change. Having Travis Kelsey back in this offense is going to be the biggest change. They won't all of a sudden start calling better things. They they just don't do it early on that's in the exactly season. But I com- I completely agree with you, Bucky. Having Travis Kelsey back is the thing that's going to change the face of this offense because Travis Kelsey is a future future Hall of Famer for a reason. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's go and get to the sponsor before we get up out here. And believe it or not. It's the same special that was uh, that appeared on the website the other day. We were doing the show, so 
Homage still got this deal going on. Free shipping orders of $75 or more. So buy $75 worth of stuff, uh, you get free shipping. And then you got the NFL team essential flesh going on with a hoodie and sweatshirt combo. Uh, you got your pop culture stuff still going on. Uh, got the Chris, you got the throwback NFL Chris crew next. And then just your normal go-to collection. So go and copy some gear and pay homage. Pay homage. My bad, Chuck. Oh, restock that starter jacket. I need that. <laughs> oh, it's going to stock all summer. You know, it's fall time, man. Make sure all y'all get some gear, man, man. I'm trying to get ready. Homage tap us in. You feel me? I'm trying to represent y'all. Mm-hmm. And speaking, speaking of speaking of fall, man, is it me or do y'all think the summers are getting a lot shorter, bro? As you get older, bro. I'm ready for it to be older, over, man. <laughs> this heat killing me, man. But, but, we ain't, but we ain't get that much heat. Like it felt like two weeks. Shit. <laughs> we had serious heat. And that it was, was enough for me. Hey, it's it, it, it's <laughs> been raining up here for the last week, man. I'm getting tired of it. We had that for a minute. It was, remember that two week stretch? It was raining like every day. We had yeah. during camp, bro. It was like a two week stretch. It rained like every day, D Mac. I swear. So we had you're in that stretch now. So mm-hmm. my coach always told me the days are long, but the years are short. So the shit gonna start flying by, bro. Oh yeah, up, it's gonna be November. We gonna be like, dang, that was eight weeks already. Then we are gonna be raining for the December and playoff start. So I take every moment with a grain of salt, man. I try to soak it up everything, the good days, the bad days, because. I love talking about with y'all. I love watching the Chiefs. I've been waiting for this era my entire life. So I don't want to take anything from moments, man. I'll soak it all in. I don't even care, bro. Yeah, I feel you on that for sure. Absolutely. Sure. Yep. So that being said, man, anything else I want to tap into before we get up out of here? No, I think we're good. Not it. All right. Not Week two, man. We're moving on to the Jaguars. On the, on the Jacksonville. On the Jacksonville. All I got to say is this. I look forward to watching – whether it's Sunday ticket or NFL Reds on Sunday. Yeah, man. Sure. Sit back, relax, enjoy enjoy the show as everybody gets started. Mm-hmm. But, hey, real real quick, I mean, what – um, I don't know how to ask this question, but I'll just ask it first. Who do you want to lose the most on Sunday? The most. What? I mean, easy so wait, wait, No, wait, hold on. Before you know, I'm just going to remind you. We've, we've got, we've got the Ravens versus Texans. We got Bengals Browns. We've got Raven. We got uh, Raiders versus Broncos. We got Chargers versus Miami. Um, I, uh, Eagles are playing Patriots. I'm rooting for Deshaun Watson, man. Deshaun Watson, come back, baby. It's obvious. I, I, actually, yeah, I had a feeling, but I, I just, yeah. I'm just it's an AFC game too. Yeah, go ahead and let Deshaun go crazy. I mean, I one and five versus the Browns. Let me make it one to six. Yeah, let, yeah, yeah. Let's I have some fun like, this weekend with that. Me? Like, look, it's hilarious I, to, to see our AFC West rivals lose, lose a game or whatever. But I uh, definitely want the Bengals to lose. I, mean, I think Bengals that would fans. that would probably be the only thing that would be a little bit of a palate cleanser right there. That'd be, that'd be cool. I wouldn't lose. be. I'll let it go there. But yeah, figured. Be, be like, uh, be like, remember that uh, clip of LeBron in the uh, campaign? LeBron was like, "You said what?" He's like, "Be humble, be humble." <laughs> what about LeBron? Let's go. <laughs> You just got Man- to leave. You just got back Manny, to Manny, I, Manny, let me tell you, let me tell you, Manny, I will be there when Miles Garrett kicks the shit out of Brandon Brown Jr. I will be there. I will be there. Let's get, let's get, let's get. Start this defensive player of the year campaign right. Y'all Miles Garrett was nasty last night. Let Orlando Brown have a bad game. Uh, <laughs> Miles Garrett, I hope he's got every single pass he rush move ready, dog. On Sunday, boy, on my Let Orlando <laughs> have a bad game. Look, I'm like this. Say something. That phone killing me. Hey. <laughs> Hey, I'll be right by the charger, man. Oh, you feel me? Oh. 
Phone stand on the God. charge. I hope Miles Garrett has a day, man. I hope Miles Garrett has a day. Darius Smith, Miles Garrett, all of y'all boys go crazy. God, I hope they go crazy, dog. Yep. Denzel Ward out of concussion so, protocol, Paul. dog. Man, come on, man. My thing is this, bro. Like, they everybody, the, I don't know why Bengals fans were taking a victory lap like that after last night, bro. Because it's, it's a narrative. It's if you lose a game, they, everybody uses it specifically to, to what they need. So Bengals fans are using it for that. Um, Ravens fans are using it for Lamar Jackson slander. Uh, you know, Chargers fans were saying that they were winning the division. Raiders fans said that they were winning the division and win nine games earlier today. So <laughs> everybody going to use it for what they need to use it because we're the champs. But, not, it's like this, but, but it's like this, though. Like, our tackles, they ain't giving no sacks last night. They, they don't care. They don't want to talk That doesn't help their narrative. They don't help. They don't it's care. like I told y'all about Lionel Brown. Like telling the truth does not the, the same way in which people were posting, like, ooh, Chris Jones is gonna get more money now because the Chiefs lost, regardless of the defense giving up two touchdowns, doesn't matter. Everything is specifically about whatever narrative they want it to be. And that's fine. I, I don't it, it's social media, so I, it's cool with me. I don't right, care. Girl, we end up getting the last laugh most times anyway. You see what I mean? Right. Usually when you start the season, the team that won the Super Bowl usually is not the best team coming into the next season. We are the best team and we're coming off Super Bowl. So, of course, any mistake we make is going to be magnified. And we were the only game on television. And not to toot our own horn, but the numbers we had on the viewing for that game were higher than the Super Bowl. So the two last NFL games played have had the most viewpoints and what team has been in both of those games. So that's we, know we, 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 know, we, know who, we know who the biggest draw in the NFL is. We know who yeah, that's what it is. No, nobody, nobody, nobody pulls like we do. Hey, we the Beatles, bro. We on, I told you, Chuck, we going on tour. We like the Beatles for real, though. We in our era right now. Yeah, it is. It is. All right. So with that being said, don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, share all your social media platforms. It's on the Jacksonville. We out. Peace. Peace.